Welcome to the Valve Chronicles by Clay Valve, your trusted partner since 1936 for the world's highest quality automatic control valves. Join us as we share insights and discuss products that are often invisible, but always essential. Hello and welcome everyone to the Valve Chronicles, a podcast from Clay Val. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Now, today is the fifth and final episode in a series looking at the differences in fueling operations between the United States and Europe. And today we're going to take a look forward at the future and look at some technologies that are coming down the pike. But let me introduce you to our guests. Once again, we have Tom Boriak. He's the Global Market Manager for Fueling at Clay Val. Tom, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to this one. Absolutely. I am as well. And joining us once again is Richard Hooten. He's the market manager for aviation and ground fueling EMEA at Clayval Europe. Richard, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Thank you, Tyler. Very well. He forgot your subject matter expert, Richard. Thank goodness. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. that's all right. Well, I, felt, I felt like I put too much pressure on Richard last time when I said <laughs> you that. Did. You did. So you built, to... built me up last time. I'm glad we dropped that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. It was a it was a strategic decision, you know. As a you know, I, I view myself kind of as the manager of the the podcast, you know, and so you want to get the most out of your players. And um, <laughs> okay, this is. A, I'm glad you're picking me up for this one. That's good. We we need you on your A game for this one, Richard. Uh, as we uh, as we wrap up the final episode of the podcast, you know, it's it's end of the season sorts of things. But uh, but here we are, fifth episode, guys. We've covered a lot of different areas. Uh, we've talked about everything from cultural differences uh, to some of the specifications and just some of the ways that, that things differ between how the United States and, and Europe uh, do things when it comes to fueling operations. And we've had a good deal of fun while we've done it, razzing each other about, uh, is Europe better? Is the United States better? That's been, a, that's been a good time. But as we come to the end of the series, uh, maybe just bring our listeners up to speed on some of the things we've talked about and just give us a quick recap up to this point, Tom. You know, taking a look back on the discussions we've had, we you know we started with a discussion on culture and and the big differences in culture and the U.S. tending to be a little bit more of a transient culture, not a career culture in the aviation fueling industry, uh, especially on the end of plane operator side. And and we I think we scored one to Europe on that one uh, in that episode. So and then uh, we talked a little bit about HSS and E safety and, and that kind of tied into culture a little bit as well. Makes it two. Sure. And Richard's saying there's there's number two. You know, we, we can go different ways on that one. Uh, we've talked about uh, pressure control. It's a big discussion out there. I think that was one of our longer ones we've done uh, so far in the podcast series. Uh, got on my soapbox a little bit there and Richard forgot to chime in on time, but we, we worked through that one. But, uh, you know, I think that's a, a big one and a lot of focus will come to that in the uh, coming year, years and exactly how that is done and making sure the world is on a, the same page. Um, as I mentioned in that one, you know, everything we're doing, everybody's doing it safely. Can we do it better? I think we can always improve uh, all aspects of it, but it's not that it's someone's doing it unsafe. It's just the process in which it's done. Then we talked a little bit about equipment. I think we scored one to the US on that, um, being a little bit more green, using a bunch of narrow body carts. And, uh, you know, equipment is quickly changing. That'll be a little bit of our, our topic today uh, just on how it's changing kind of what we're seeing out there but but overall you know you look at it and there are differences in in how Europe is handling and operating as an end plane group and the organizations there as compared to the US um, and we have a lot to learn from each other as we get to the global harmonization and and standards are starting to be harmonized um, you know a for a spec 103 to to jig to IFQP um, all of these standards as they're harmonizing, 
will get us to a better place globally and on the same page. Um, and that'll only make us better as an industry. You know, we started this whole conversation four or five podcasts ago, really on the back of a of a small industry document that Tom and I wrote, just looking at some of the differences that we saw and some of the comparisons that we were making. So it was never supposed to be a competition, of course. And, you know, Tom said that's one to Europe, and I would say it's three, four, five to Europe as well. But, you know, it wasn't supposed to be a competition, but it's been an interesting conversation. You know, again, as Tom said, we started with culture and we have, um, you know, we've used it as a bit of a buzzword as we've discussed it. But we, you know, we've been saying a lot this nurture nature, which we do have over here, which has driven a lot of things in terms of product developments, health and safety, even specifications versus Tom. And I don't think he said it, but I know he meant it. This kind of replace rather than repair kind of historic culture they have in the US there. So, so you know, that, that was culture, uh, which was a really interesting subject for me. Then we had specifications and specifications. Again, I think it's fair to say that we both do things safely, as Tom rightly said. There are specifications out there. And I think from our discussions, it would appear to me, and I'm guessing those that were listening, that I think we're just a little bit ahead in the race on some of those specs in terms of compliance. And I'm trying to be polite with you there, Tom. Um, but I think we may be edged ahead a little bit there. Then we moved on, as you rightly said, to vehicle design. So I've just got to put this out here because it's been bothering me ever since we, we last discussed. But I think I was misquoted. So I'm just going to say it. <laughs> you guys did get on my back a little bit. I think I might have suggested that you had a good idea when it came to cars. But, you know, I was I was saying purely when it comes to decarbonization and the carbon footprint, you're right, it's a good idea. You know, you misquoted me, you twisted it a little bit and maybe you got <laughs> half a point back. But generally speaking, we realized that, you know, the way in which the industry moves and the way in which we fuel here versus there dictates a different design of vehicles. So, you know, as I said, it was never supposed to be a race and it was never a case of who does it better. But, you know, Honestly, the evidence is there, isn't it? I'm saying nothing more than that. Wow. All right. <laughs> I just had to get it off my chest. Because of that, because you're the, the winner there, is self-declared winner, um, we'll let you lead the, the conversation on where we go in the future and uh, what it looks like out there. Yeah. I mean, there's some interesting things coming. Um, you know, when I think about fueling trucks, and that's our business is nozzles, couplers, all that stuff. So if I think about fueling trucks, when you look at a fueling truck now, and okay, I'm talking about a European truck, but there's a lot of similarities to trucks that may have been running around the airport 20, 30 years ago, even. And I'm not sure what Tom would say, but you know, how different can you make a truck, right? It's doing the same job and it's pipes and it's valves and it's this and it's that. And, you know, we have a culture. We spoke, I think, in the last webinar, the cost of trucks are so expensive. So we have this culture when the, the chassis and the engine get a little bit old and they become, you know, um, uneconomic to use and their emissions aren't, aren't quite as clean as they should be. We tend to take the hamper, the fueling bit off the back over here, and we pop it onto a new chassis and away we go for another 15 years. So, you know, I think... There's a lot of that that goes on to keep costs managed. And therefore, still a lot of the trucks that you see, certainly the ones that are, are in the field, kind of still reflect slightly older technology. Now, there is new stuff coming and there needs to be new stuff. There's so much technology everywhere we look. So definitely new technology is coming without doubt. 
Um, so we have to embrace that ourselves. You know, it's a funny thing to say, maybe, but I wouldn't mind suggesting that even the situation we're in globally now and and the, the COVID situation and even lockdown has, has brought those developments on even more because people have had time to think about what's next and how can we change it and how can we be different. So I wouldn't mind betting on the back of what has been an awful situation. We suddenly see some leap forwards in development, maybe not even just for our industry, but industries in general. So, you know, we have that coming as well. There's a huge drive for electric vehicles. There's a drive to push down the carbon footprint emissions, not only from airlines, but airports and airport servicing companies as well. So we're seeing too this kind of girth of, of electric vehicles or electric or hybrid electric kind of vehicles slowly drifting in. And there'll be more that come as well. So technology is coming and it's coming at a very fast rate. We too have got to play our part in that. Um, and I know Tom's got his finger on the pulse and he might even allude to one or two clever things that we're doing um, as well. But, you know, my one message, I think Tom would agree, probably one of the few occasions we do agree on these webinars or these podcasts is that, you know, not one size fits all. And we have to be careful at the pace with which we introduce some of this stuff. I think the you, you just hit something there and... and- dissecting your conversation a little bit is the the one size doesn't fit all absolutely and as we move to a smaller carbon footprint moving to electric vehicles we also have to identify the impact this is going to have to other operators in other countries on other continents um you know the u.s and europe what happens is they'll use their equipment for 15 20 years and then it gets sold into the south americas into the middle of africa a little bit to southeast asia although that's changed quite a bit and when you start moving to requiring this the electric vehicles and stuff you're going to miss the one size fits all but you're also not going to have this used equipment moving down into those markets so it's going to make the cost go up for some of those markets so it's something to be aware of and we had a we had a nice chat yesterday with the industry leader and, and that was one of the things we talked through and what does the impact look like there um, and as we mentioned in a couple of the podcasts, you know, you can't drop a fully electric vehicle into the South Pacific. What happens if there's an issue? Okay, you know, they've got to get parts from, you know, Europe or the U.S. or out of Southeast Asia um, from a boat or an airplane. Maybe a technician has to be arranged to fly out there. So there's a, there's a lot of hurdles to think about in that, you know, and, and then so that is but that is a big step in technology right now is a lot of builders are looking at how do they go green how do they reduce the carbon footprint of refueling equipment not everybody can use the idea of stationary carts which is about as green as you can get uh, from a carbon footprint standpoint uh, which uh, richard alluded to in in some of the previous discussions we're going to see some changes there there's some great products coming out some purpose-built vehicles um, that will move us into the future you know with that they're always looking for ways to you know i, I was just sitting here thinking about how do you say it? it it's safer faster greener those are our that's what we're looking to do that's what we want to do in the industry we want to fuel we want to be safer in the process of fueling we always want to make sure that's the highest standard we have we always want to fuel faster we want to give the aircraft the fuel as fast as it can take to to make our operators more efficient um and we want to be greener we want to reduce the carbon footprint we want to be 
greener. We want to be more environmental friendly as users as well. So you kind of doing all of those things combined effectively gives you the best solution. It's taking those pieces and being um, very purposeful with the solutions. So we know truck builders are out there doing purpose-built trucks, uh, which I think will be outstanding. We've got to look at the other impact though of what happens to other countries around the world that buy the used equipment and how does that work? Um, I think you look at fueling faster. So there's a lot of developments out there. Some of our competitors have had it. We're working on some stuff, uh, digital pressure control. You know, digital pressure control will allow you to fuel aircraft faster. And we're not going to get into the technicalities of how all that works, but it is a smaller package we're putting together here uh, as well uh, to compete in that space. Um, so now you're getting away from the pure hydraulic or air reference pressures that are controlling it to a digital signal. That's something that's coming along um, in the fueling vehicles that we're going to provide. We're working on some other solutions um, that will be in that fueling faster category. In a traditional setting, if you can fuel faster, you're reducing the running time on that equipment, which allows you to be greener. So there's there's there are some offsets in what we're doing and we're trying to do. And then you get into stuff, you know, there's SAF, you know, sustainable aviation fuel and how how is that responding? So there's a lot of sections in the industry kind of working towards that safer, faster, greener aspect. I'm hooked. It's like the end of a, of a TV show when it's a series, you know, and you get just to a point where you want to know what happens and then I've got to wait till next week till he tells me the rest of the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Always keeping you right on the edge, Richard. That's that's my job, you know, is, is, is keep, keep enough of it in to let everybody want a, a, a little bit more. Tease it out. Exactly. And it's good. I mean, you know, Clayval uh, are, are really forward thinking. It's one of the nice things about our company is we um, are young and energetic and we think we understand what the customers need and we push and we push and we push for the next thing. But we have to temper that a little bit. You know, what we do and how we do it has to be viewed and designed with with a worldwide audience in mind. That you know, Tom's dead right. You, you what, what we do, let's say what we do here, even in England, and it might work well, it might work well to a fashion, but then if you take that, even if it works 90% of the time, you think it's great, it's cool, we've got this little thing we have to tweak every few months, but otherwise it's fine and we get by. But then you put that in a completely different country somewhere where they don't have the know-how, the support, you know, the local assistance, the tooling, the understanding, even the money to upskill themselves or whatever it might be. And then that becomes a real hindrance. And then suddenly we go back to, in actual fact, the 30-year-old design that we had that we all thought was out of date is far more effective to us. Um, because what do you do? And we have to think a little bit about a lot of these improvements we make, you know, uh, fuel faster, fuel quicker, they're also more safety conscious. But what happens if when that goes wrong and what is the temptation to turn the button off on that clever gizmo? And then what does that mean for the fueling operation? And is it still faster and safer and better when the button's turned off? And that's why it needs to, needs to we need to play to a, a global audience when we try to design this stuff. And that's that one solution doesn't fit all. You know, and you have to be aware of that. You're you're absolutely correct. If if someone can just bypass it and make it keep going, is it really an effective solution? Uh, and that's a whole another conversation, and we won't dig into that one. Um, I, I, I've promised some people, and I've promised myself, I wouldn't go down the rabbit hole of of some of those uh, technologies out there because it it's 
uh, gets quite deep in a hurry. You know, I, I look at, at the future and, and technology and, and what's coming and, and how do we consume that technology. So part of the first episodes was was culture and, and part of that's training. How does training done? How are people getting information? Well, most people are consuming data on their cell phones now. They're consuming information, they're watching videos. And you go back two years ago, three years ago, the data for ground fueling components, nozzles, couplers, everything was a paper brochure. Okay, maybe you could download the PDF online, but it's a paper booklet that they had to read through. And it still is largely that way, um, but you know, here at Clayval, we've really made the strive to give it in a consumable product the way they're consuming it. Um, so making it friendly, making an app so they can go in and configure their product, explode that product to view all the different parts and pieces with all the information there. It's creating new manuals that are very picture centric. Uh, people don't learn just by reading something. Everybody has a different way to learn. Uh, so it might not be just reading, it might not be looking at pictures, it might be a video. So we're starting to do short snippet videos that someone can download from YouTube or watch on our website or watch through the app of, okay, I wanna go do this. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch this video. Okay, I can work through it then. I think a lot of people consume and learn that way now, uh, especially within the, the millennial group and even some other generations uh, up there with Richards. You know, we, we <laughs> a little shot there, Richard, not too bad, um, you know, or even using it to consume. And then you get into webinars and how, how does that change? So it's, it's, a, it's using the technology um, that's as a way to move the industry forward. So it's not necessarily a mechanical piece. It's, it's, a, it's a functional piece of making sure we can reach out to our users and how they consume that information. To bring us back to the speed with which we do this and, and the rate of change, you know, I, I've got numerous examples where something really clever and cool and, and forward thinking has gone into the market, but in actual fact, it wasn't able to be used for various reasons. And, and Tom's talking there about the app. So, you know, whilst we have this forum, Tom, it'd be completely remiss of us not to put a 15 second plug in to say that. This is really cool, by the way. You know, exploded models, 3D this, 3D that. It is really groundbreaking and it'll download it, it'll change your life, believe me, Tyler. But that being said, you know, I just have regularly the conversations. This is an app that we're pushing through to people. But the funny thing is, I have this, this conversation quite frequently, whereupon where Tom and I might be able to, to, to download the app and administer it and, and use it quite freely and quite easily, there are also parts of the world that will struggle. Uh, to, to download the app, even. You know, and that's a really basic level, but that, that's, a, that's an example of where we're using technology to try to further the field. But also, I'm mindful, particularly in that instance, that not everybody is at the same rate with using mobile devices and understanding apps and how to, to download them and to put them on your phone. That's a really great point. And, and I, I do want to go back to something Richard said uh, really close to the beginning where he talked about um, this being a, a time when we could see a lot of innovation come out of, you know, us hopefully leaving the pandemic behind. There being a lot of innovation that, that could have been occurring kind of behind the scenes throughout this entire period. Tom, is that something that you feel like you've seen as well? And is there a, a wave coming a, a, of change kind of like you've, you've mentioned earlier? If organizations have been active, absolutely, there's going to be a wave. 
we, we've been utilizing this time for development, finishing out some products, creating some new products, even if they're small adapters, stuff like that to further some of our product lines. But we've been working on new technologies, new, completely new products uh, to bring to the marketplace. So if, if other companies, and I, I don't see why they wouldn't, um, but if other companies have been investing their time while they can, yeah, there, there's definitely going to be a wave in how it does. Um, and we've seen that with a couple of organizations of how they've invested their time, gotten a sneak peek uh, kind of behind the curtain on stuff they have coming. So I, I think there will be a wave and I think it'll be a good wave. It'll just take some time to adopt and bring into the industry as is the case typically anytime there's something new. So here's an interesting question for you, Tom, since you brought it up. How do you see or do you see a need for even the specifications with which we currently hold dear and so used to now? Do they need to change? Do they need to develop to accommodate the rate of change that people like we and other clever bots are, are creating? Wow, you're putting me on a hot seat there. That's a tough one to unload, unpack. You know, I think a lot of work needs to go into the specifications from an industry as a whole. I think the knowledge base that those that have created and worked on the specifications in the past need to share that knowledge so that, yes, we can address it. We can look at it. I, I had a uh, email back and forth uh, yesterday uh, regarding one of these, and it was some language in one of the specifications I actually never saw. And I mean, I, I asked. Uh, I, I really wanted to learn it. I'm curious, like, what was the thought process behind putting this in there uh, or why it's required? Because I didn't have the same view. And we need involvement from the community in these specs from the younger generation coming in. So there is a bridge. Right now, there's, there's carnal knowledge of, oh, we had this study done and this is what came of it and this is why it's in there. Whereas if those people leave the industry and they don't share that knowledge, someone's going to be asking the question and we could go backwards because nobody really knows why it was put in there. But I think, yes, I think standards can be adjusted. I think we need to make room for some of that um, as the industry moves forward. You know, I sit on a, a committee based here in the U.S. and we definitely need to look at how we move forward. You know, that specific specification doesn't address some of these new technologies coming and should it or is it the wild wild west and then we go back and everybody has to comply after some stuff's already out there so just like we're trying to get ahead in the game on products is an industry we need to make sure we're furthering our specifications in the same thought process i remember occasions probably now and you kind of mentioned my age earlier so uh, probably now 10 years ago or even more whereupon um, I was in parts of the world doing our regular quarterly pressure control checks, which, you know, Tom and I do and we witness constantly and regularly in different parts of the world, but using then digital pressure control. You mentioned digital pressure control before. Now, you know, that was pretty groundbreaking back then. And although the digital system worked very well in certain environments, in this particular location, you know, what you're asking guys to do is to completely change their mentality and their philosophy and their understanding of how the pressure control checks work. For example, Tom, now, you know, what was the primary controller is now the secondary controller and vice versa. And this was almost a decade too early because the specification wasn't written with that in mind. And to get that 
that pressure control checks done on that fleet of vehicles was very, very time consuming and a very, very difficult task, you know, which and all the forms required certain caveats at the bottom to say, you know, the inspector witnessed this and even he was a little bit baffled at what was going on, but we think it's all right. Um, so that's one example whereupon there was technology there, good, bad, whatever. Uh, but the specification I don't think had caught up with it. So what you're saying is quite rightly, it's a hand-holding exercise where we need to do go together as a team. Right. We we need to work, we need to work with the end users. We need to work with the stakeholders on those specifications. Um, and I think we're starting to see that. I, I try not to get into too many of the specific names and stuff like that, so I won't. But we there's a standard out there that you know we've we've worked with closely um, that we'll see some changes coming, and I think that's good, and that'll benefit all the users, all the stakeholders with that change uh, for moving forward into the future. Well, guys, I, I don't know entirely how to tie a bow on uh, on five episodes uh, <laughs> like this, but... Uh, I, think I, I think I do, Tyler. Um, yes. Limier one. <laughs> I think that probably says it all, does it not? Oh, party, parting shots. I'll, I'll, I'll have to remedy that one. I've been too nice for this whole series of podcasts, and I've been far too agreeable with Tom and what he says, so I have to get something in. Do, do you know what you win for... For, for claiming victory, Richard? Should I have asked before I just claimed? Maybe. <laughs> you get to come up with a whole new series of podcasts we get to do. Yeah. Now I think about it, you know, there is something in what the U.S. do and how they do it. I might just <laughs> the it, should, it should also be noted, Richard has been uh, particularly grumpy during these uh, podcast recordings because his, his soccer club, Southampton, ha- have performed poorly while we've been recording these episodes. And so uh, I think he... I think, He's ready to get these episodes uh, in the rearview mirror. Uh, you know, I, I'm happy to have a follow-up episode where we just do the bloopers reel of geezers and geysers and trousers <laughs> and pants and uh, all of the all of the Richardisms that we have. The, the funny thing is, you know, we often will stand together if I happen to be with Tom and we're maybe making a presentation together or something, and and I'll use an expression which we in England use every single day, every day, and it means nothing different to me than the expression and, and tom will look at me as will some of the other people around the room and i can tell instantly when i've said something because the the, the quizzical expressions i'm getting and i'm thinking is it because i'm saying something wrong or what and then they have to wind me back and say what did you mean by the way <laughs> what was that expression yeah. you used so whilst i think i speak the queen's english pretty much it clearly doesn't work everywhere maybe we got roughity toughity i think one of the best ones you've probably been called out on is just your use of honestly and i think it got everybody in the uh organization to move to frankly oh, yeah. exactly yeah I our, 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 our ceo called richard out on that one in a in a presentation honestly you keep saying honestly are you not typically honest with me uh so we had to switch that one to to frankly for richard there but likewise, it goes both ways. Until I met Tom, I didn't realize there was really a word, y'all. But in emails oh. now, I get y'all. Y-A-L-L. There's no such word. I thought it was slang, but no. That originates from my part of the world. So uh, I don't know whether to claim that proudly or to apologize. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> Anyhow, I can't believe you outed me in, you know, on such a forum about Southampton. They're a great football team, but I do keep that close to my chest. And I would only tell anybody I was a Southampton fan, especially when we're at the bottom of the league. Now the world knows. Every event you're going to go to, the world will know. 
I just pray that the results turn around and then I can hold my head up high again. <laughs> All right. Well, Richard, Richard has homework coming up with a new podcast series. Hopefully, uh, we'll record them over the summer when Southampton isn't playing. Uh, but maybe we would, uh, maybe we'd end up cursing England at the uh, the Euros. So let's do it after the Euros for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll have to plan this around Richard's uh, soccer schedule. However, it has been uh, a fantastic time recording these uh, these episodes with with y'all. Um, and I, I hope that we can uh, continue to do more of these in the future. Guys, as we wrap up th- these episodes, uh, anything you want to say in closing uh, as we try to tie a bow on uh, on these uh, these five episodes we've recorded on the differences in fueling operations? We, we've done a great job of covering a lot of things. I think, you know, for me, a summary, summarizing it is kind of a, a little slogan, and it's not meant to be a slogan, but it is safer, faster, greener. How can we contribute as an, as an individual in an industry to accomplishing those goals in the aviation fuel markets. And from businesses supplying products to the users putting the fuel on the aircraft um, in every step of the way, how, how can we contribute to being safer? How can we contribute to fueling faster? And how can we contribute to being greener? And when everybody does their part for that, I think we'll see that big jump. Yeah, and from my point of view, you know, right from the outset this whole conversation has just been tom and i and how we see our perspective i don't think either of us would suggest we're we're necessarily we joke a little bit about it but we're necessarily experts on every subject but but it's been a really interesting conversation um to 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 see and to discuss a little bit about you know how we're doing it differently and certainly there's a lot we can learn from each other as we've discussed a lot but we are doing it well already and we are doing it safely already. Um, so let's not forget that. But uh, yeah, from my point of view, a great debate. Fantastic stuff. Well, Tom Boriak and Richard Hooten, guys, thank you so much for joining me for this series here, taking a look at the differences in fueling operations between the US and Europe. It's been a blast and I uh, look forward to uh, to whatever the next podcast series that Richard has, uh, has concocted uh, <laughs> coming up very shortly. So guys, thank you once again for joining me. Thank you, Tyler. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Valve Chronicles. Stay tuned for more episodes coming out shortly. Uh, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts these days. And uh, and, and we'll be back uh, very soon with more episodes of the show. But thank you once again to my guests. I've been your host, Tyler Kern. We'll talk to you again soon.